unbeknownst to me, there had been a miscommunication. And I probably should have realized it before then, or I should have said something before this happened. But right there on the front row of church, someone who was very important in the church just ripped into me. And it was completely unexpected, out of the blue. I had no idea what was going on. And this individual just tore into me because of the announcement I made. And they said, how could you make that announcement uh, to the whole church? I had no idea this was coming and on and on and on. And I had no idea how to respond. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Good evening, everyone. My name is Kelly Lynn, and I am one of the leaders here at Praxis. And I am so glad that of all the places you could be, you are here tonight with us. It's so fun to meet some people who have maybe been here just for the first time. And I just want to welcome you if this is your first time here. If you've been coming here for the last few weeks, thank you for continuing to join us. My name is Kelly, and I am here to share my testimony. And I've shared it a couple times already, so we're doing a little mini-series. Besides Christmas that Pastor Austin's going to be speaking about tonight, we're doing a little mini-testimony series with my life. So thank you for being here tonight. And um, first of all, I realized what's funny is whenever I come up front on stage, there's things that I say and then someone will come up to me a week or two later and be like, hey, like for example, someone came up to me and said, hey, I heard that you're going to seminary next year. And I was like, I never remember saying that. Like who's making up these rumors about me? And then Pastor Phil was like, you literally said you were going to seminary next year when you were on stage a couple weeks ago. So I just wanna say, I apologize, I misspoke. I'm gonna be a lot more careful with what I say now. But when I meant next year, I meant like in the future, like metaphorically next year. So the goal is, yes, seminary in the future, but not next year, because I love it here and I love serving here at Praxis and I have so much fun getting to know each and every one of you. <laughs> okay, now that that's cleared. Um, so two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I talked about my identity, how my job or my career etc. doesn't define me. You and I are not defined by our worldly definitions of what success might be. For example, failing a class. I know a few of us have maybe done that, but that doesn't define you. That doesn't mean that you're a failure. Did I hear some cheering over here? <laughs> or maybe you're taking a year off and maybe you feel like you need some rest and that's okay because that again does not define you. In fact, it just grows you. And I believe that identity ultimately comes from God. Last week, I talked about my initial journey of when I left the Adventist church and when I came back to the Adventist church. And upon returning, I realized that my faith was not so much my faith, but my parents' faith. 
And it was only through my own trials and tribulations that I made my faith my own. And tonight I want to talk about radical hospitality. Because when I first went back to the church, I actually didn't come back to the Adventist church. I went back to Sunday church. I know, please gasp. Please gasp, I know. Pray for me. But it wasn't because I agreed with their theology and it wasn't because I wanted to be different. None of that. It was actually because they just accepted me for who I was. Right. I grew up in the Adventist church my whole life, and I knew that if I shared my struggles about drinking or partying or living a double life, that I didn't find a safe space in the Adventist church, that maybe I might even be judged. Like, did you hear what she did last night, or how is she a leader if she's doing that? And I was afraid. And to be truthful, how ironic is that? That the one place, church, where the place that people come to be healed to be forgiven was the one place that I was afraid of going to. So I skipped Adventist church for a while, and I just went to Sunday church. And I just loved the radical hospitality that they showed to newcomers. Just come as you are. And honestly, now working with Praxis, I feel like a lot of Praxis is come as you are, which I absolutely love. But over time, I realized that I really did miss the Adventist church the beauty of the theology, the closeness in the community, and obviously the delicious haystacks. Like, who else has better haystacks, you know what I mean? And eventually I realized over time that there was a place for me in the church. In fact, there's always been a place for me in the church because church equals people, which means that we all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life. And there's not a single characteristic that you need to be a part of the church. You were validated when Christ was hanging on that cross. You were validated before you were even born. I used to think that I had to look a certain way, act a certain way, speak a certain way. And all of that was a lie because I was enough. And I want to remind you tonight that you are enough. Because my unique walk might open up different opportunities that maybe you can't get into or go into or meet the same people. And I feel the same way about other people who might be walking into new opportunities, meeting different people that I don't have the chance to meet. And I remember going back to the church, I began looking for people who didn't show up with, with a friend or maybe didn't have someone to talk to. I remember reading about Jesus in the Bible and how he was always surrounded by crowds of people. He was so popular, and yet he noticed even the smallest, most unrecognized and visible characters of society. And I wanted to reflect that. I wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus within my own influence and sphere of influence. So I found that passion in campus ministries. So I went to the University of Washington, and I ministered to the students at the University of Washington. And slowly over time, I realized that my unqualified lack of qualifications, lack of theology degree, partier at heart, sinner at heart, was actually what made me qualified to do God's work. And it's not about what I know, because those things come later, but it's about having a willing heart. 
And I would even go as far to say that praxis has hospitality. But do we have radical hospitality? If we are seeing other people standing by themselves, or maybe we see somebody with a new face that you've never recognized, which honestly is me every week. There's always new people that I'm meeting. Do you say hello? Do you ask them how long they've been coming to Praxis? Do you welcome them, even if it's your first time here? Do you go downstairs to Afterglow and ask somebody, hey, what's your favorite snack here? And enjoy a bag of chips together. Let's start with these conversations. Let's have and embrace this radical hospitality where it becomes a natural part of who you are, this kindness, this lovingness, this welcoming of people, where it overflows and that people know that when they come to praxis, they're not gonna be judged. Come as you are. We're here to just love on you and that this place is a safe place for you. There's a quote by Teresa of Avila that I absolutely love and I'm gonna read it to you now. It says, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Thank you. I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I'll have a week or a weekend or even just a day where nothing goes right. A few years ago, I remember one of those periods of time in particular. I was living up in the Bay Area because I had a job up there, and I had been asked to um, officiate a wedding. So I'd done that. And like the night before the wedding, for some reason, my phone quit working and I didn't know what to do with it and it just wouldn't work. Now I lived in like San Jose and the wedding was up in Napa by PUC. So that's like a two-ish hour drive. So not the kind of drive you, I could do without a GPS. And you know, you print out like paper directions, which I hadn't, uh, I don't think I've actually ever done that except for that one time. And I made it and things were okay. So I took my phone into the Apple store and they like took it to the back, came back and they were like, here, have a new one. There's a hardware issue that is not your fault. So they just like coughed me one. And I was like, oh yeah, thank you. So I went home, things were fine. But then things got interesting because the following weekend, I, we were out, I was hanging out with my roommate and stuff, and I was at home. My roommate came home, and he comes in the door, and he is clearly, like, very annoyed. And I was like, dude, like, what's going on? And he goes, well, someone in the apartment complex had parked in his spot in the garage. And this was something that had been happening from time to time, and we had notified the company, and they were not very helpful, and so he had had to like park out on the street and he was kind of annoyed about that, but you know, things happen. So he we went to bed, get up the next morning, we're getting ready. He goes out to go to work. Then he comes back and he's like, my car is gone. It has been towed by the city because it turns out I parked in like 
like a no parking zone. I was like, oh, dude, I'm really sorry. So he was like, can you take me to like the tow lot? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I got in the car. Again, we're driving down San Jose. I'm driving down the freeway towards the lot, watching my GPS, and suddenly my phone goes blank. Like it quits working. And I was like, are you kidding me? I just had this thing replaced. So we managed to make it to the lot. I dropped him off, drove back to the mall where the Apple store was located, gave him the phone and was like, you just like replaced this last week. Now it is not working again. Is there anything you can do? And they're like, sure. They took it to the back. They're like, come back in an hour and we'll fix it. We'll give it back to you. So I was like, all right. So I left. I like walked around the mall for an hour, came back and I approached, you know, the Apple store rep. And I was like, okay, is it ready? And she came out and she was like, we actually haven't repaired it because the screen turned on and it just started working. So we can't repair something that's not broken. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this better not break again because I have had uh, a weekend and I don't want this to continue to happen. Have you ever had a period in your life where nothing goes right? Just every time you turn around, it seems like something else breaks, something else goes wrong. You just don't know what to do. And maybe you come here. Maybe you come here to night church, to Vespers, and things in your life are a little like that. Maybe it's like that at work. You're on a project. You're doing everything you can. You just can't seem to get everything to work together. The numbers just don't quite add up. And then your boss is like breathing down your neck to get it turned in, and it's just not happening. Or maybe it's like that at school. You've been studying as hard as you can, you know, every quiz, every test, every assignment, but every time you get those results back, they are just not quite where you want them to be. Or even at home, at home with your roommates or your spouse, siblings, parents, whomever it might be, and the relationship is just on the rocks. And it feels like you're walking on eggshells and everything you say and everything you do, something else goes wrong. And you are just frustrated or angry. And then you come to night church. And the preacher up front gets up there and says, Merry Christmas. We hope you have a good time, a good season. And that is just not the reality you are living today. Well, I don't know about all of you, but I've been there before. And it is not a fun place to be. But take courage because we are not the only ones who have been there before. In fact, we're going to read about someone today who might be in a similar situation, who might be experiencing the same kinds of things. Someone in the text we're going to encounter who, for all intents and purposes, things are going wrong. So today, we are in the third of a four-part series. Over the course of this series in the characters of Christmas, we have looked at some different people, some different groups of people, and seen how they interact with the Christmas story, with Jesus, with the child, and what that does in their lives. So we started two weeks ago. We started with the shepherds out in the field, the people nobody thinks of, the people no one thinks is important, and yet they play such a vital and important role in that story. And then last week, we kind of shifted gears. And there we looked at the Magi, or as they're occasionally referred to, the wise men. 
These men who came from who knows where, but far, far away to come gaze upon the child and worship him. And he changed their lives too. And today we enter part three. And in part three, we're going to look at a different character altogether. The character we're going to look at today is one whose name you have probably heard before. He goes by the name of Joseph. And Joseph plays a part in this story. He plays a part in this story, and Jesus changes his life, just like he changed the lives of the shepherds, and he changed the lives of the magi. So that's what we're going to look at today. So I'd like to encourage you, open with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to read what happens here, how Joseph interacts with the story, how he interacts with Jesus, and how it may change his life depending on what he does. So we're going to read together Matthew chapter 1. We begin in verse 18. Matthew writes, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So the first thing I kind of think when I look at this text is I think, what's happening here? What's going on? If I were Joseph, what would I be thinking? And so, of course, as the story goes, Joseph and Mary are betrothed. They're betrothed to be married, and then things don't happen the way Joseph expects that they will happen. One day, lo and behold, he finds out she is pregnant, and he knows it's not his. And so what does he think? He says, okay, I'll divorce her quietly. That's what's going to happen. But then an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, no, take her as your wife anyway, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, when we look at this text and we consider what's going on here, there's one thing in here that is or was confusing to me a little bit. They seem to be talking about engagement and betrothals and divorces, and there's a lot going on in here, right? So I did a little bit of digging around, a little bit of looking around to understand kind of the context of what we're dealing with here with Joseph and Mary and this whole situation. So, from the work of the Scottish scholar William Barclay, here is what I found out. There are three stages, kind of, of marriage and engagement and so forth that happen here. And they happen often in the ancient Jewish world. And so what we find here would have been pretty normal. First, there was a period of engagement. And engagement was what happened when a couple was basically pledged to each other to be married. Now, Typically, that would have been done when the two parties involved were very young, probably just children. And there would have been an agreement between the parents of their families and said, okay, 
your child is going to marry my child. They're engaged. And it wasn't quite a legally binding thing, but there was a fairly serious understanding that was held there. So that was engagement. But then we moved to stage two, and that is betrothal. Now, betrothal at that point is not really something that we have an equivalent of today. You see, betrothal is basically kind of a legal agreement between the couple to solidify the agreement into which they had previously entered. So before they become betrothed, any party involved, whether it is the bride's family or the groom's family or the bride or the groom themselves, can basically say, I don't want to go through with this. Let's end this engagement. But at the point at which they become betrothed, it becomes legally binding. So in order to end that, you would basically have to become divorced. So it was a very, very serious way of looking at this commitment. The betrothal would last for a year, and the couple would be known as husband and wife, despite the fact that they're not really husband and wife in the way we would think of it. So there they are. They are betrothed. And then we get to the third stage, the third period here, and that is the actual marriage. And so then there would be the ceremony. The husband and wife would move in together, and that was marriage. It's kind of the same way we think of it today in a variety of different ways. So Mary and Joseph are in the period of betrothal. It's beyond engagement. It's more serious than that in that context, but it's not quite marriage either. It's during that one-year period here where it's pretty serious. It's a big deal, right? So in order for them to separate, it would basically be, a le- they would have to break a legally binding agreement. They would have to go to court and get a judge and get some witnesses and break that agreement. And that's a serious thing. That's a big deal. And so this is kind of the issue here in that Joseph is dealing with. He finds out Mary, his betrothed, is pregnant. He knows the child is not his, and now he has a decision to make. What is he going to do? And the truth is, he's got a few options, right? He's got a few different things he can do, and no doubt, he sits there probably for a while and kind of weighs these different options. So what are those options? Well, as I see it, he's got three options, really. Option number one, he can end the betrothal, legally speaking, in a very public and humiliating way. And if I were in his shoes, I no doubt would have been tempted uh, to take that option, to take that road, kind of a burn the bridge kind of road. Now, I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life where I have definitely wanted to take a burn the bridge kind of approach to different situations in my life. Now, Some people are better at dealing with their tempers than others, but I would say the time when I get the angriest is when I'm driving. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a little bit of a struggle for me. The By far the most annoying thing on the road, in my opinion, and you may disagree with me, is when you come to an intersection and the light is red. So you're out there at this intersection, sitting there in your car waiting for the light to turn green. And inevitably, because we live in Southern California, there's always traffic. And you're waiting there, light is red, you look up, and after a minute or so, it turns green. But you know what's happened? The cars in the other intersection 
have stopped in the middle of the intersection because there are too many of them. <laughs> now, this is the point in my life where it is probably the most difficult for me to hold on to my Christianity. <laughs> but, you know, praise the Lord for his everlasting grace. <laughs> but if it were up to me, I would just sit there at that intersection and just lay on that horn and humiliate that person in front of me so they never stopped in the middle of the intersection again and they waited until the cars in front of them had cleared out. So I don't know about you. Maybe you understand what that's like. Maybe you don't. You're probably far better than I. But that is option one. Joseph can come out here and essentially burn that bridge to the ground and humiliate Mary. And not only can he do that, the consequences that would follow would have been very, very serious. In fact, although research shows and scholars say that this wasn't particularly common, the law says that she could have been stoned to death. Again, not particularly common, according to biblical scholars and theologians, but it was an option, and it could happen. So Joseph can do that. That is one of the options that is presented to him in this particular context. But that's not it. He's got the burn the bridge option. But he's got another option. Option number two is he can still divorce her, but he can be kind about it right? He can do it quietly, and he can do it in a way that she won't be publicly humiliated, and maybe she can even move or go away or do something else so she can continue to live her life. In fact, one thing about betrothal that I have not mentioned yet in this particular context is if a woman and her family wanted to divorce a man during that period, they would need a witness and a judge, and it would kind of be a whole big event and issue for that to happen. But if a man wanted to divorce a woman during that betrothal period, he didn't actually need a judge. He only needed another witness. So Joseph can do it here, but he can do it very, very quietly in a way that people either won't find out or it will take them a long time to find out. So that's option number two. He can, be, he can do it in a way that is kind and quiet and won't just completely destroy Mary and her reputation. My first job out of college was as a pastor up in the Bay Area, a job I loved very much. But naturally, coming out of college, uh, despite the things I had learned in college, I did not know everything. And I remember a particular time when I made a mistake, and I was dealt with in a way that was very kind and understanding that I probably did not deserve. The senior pastor at the church had assigned me to a committee, and it was the job of this committee, of this group of people, to kind of do some work and figure out a way that our church can make a fairly major shift. We were moving from a two-service model to a one-service model for a variety of different reasons, and that was kind of a committee that was assigned to take that on and figure out whether it was a good option or a bad option, how we would do it, what we would do, and so on and so forth. So the senior pastor assigned me, he said, you'll attend this committee, work with the people who are, you know, important people in our church, people who have a voice. We want to understand them and hear them, listen to what they have to say, and then, of course, you know, make wise decisions along the way, hopefully. And so I said, sure, I'll be part of the committee. This is part of my job. I'm excited to do this. This is a responsibility that I will do my best to carry. 
So I attended, and over the course of a few months, we had a variety of different meetings. We talked many, many different options through, and it came to a point where the committee had gotten to a place where we felt we were ready to kind of make an announcement and kind of make it more of a public thing so the church would understand what was happening. So one of the members on the committee had told me, okay, you've got to make this announcement in church. You're one of the pastors. They'll want to hear from someone who has some authority in the church. And I said, okay, I can do that. So I went in, I talked to our secretary, our office manager, and said, can you put this in the bulletin? Just, you know, put an announcement there, put my name there. I'll be on stage this week, and, and uh, I'm going to make an announcement. And she said, sure. So she wrote it in. The bulletins were printed. It was put in planning center and everything, and we were good to go. So Sabbath rolled around, and I went up there. I made that announcement, and church went on, and it was fine. Well, when church had finished, I was sitting there in the front row with, you know, a couple of other people. And unbeknownst to me, there had been a miscommunication. And I probably should have realized it before then, or I should have said something before this happened. But right there on the front row of church, someone who was very important in the church just ripped into me. And it was completely unexpected, out of the blue. I had no idea what was going on. And this individual just tore into me because of the announcement I made. And they said, how could you make that announcement uh, to the whole church? I had no idea this was coming, and on and on and on. And I had no idea how to respond. Well, church ended. I went home. The weekend happened. And as pastors, we take generally Sunday and Monday off. So I came into the office on Tuesday like normal. And I was called into the senior pastor's office. And he sat me down and was like, so listen, here's the thing. There was clearly a miscommunication here. And as the pastor, it really should have been my job to let him know that this announcement was coming. And I had assumed that someone else was going to do it because I had been told, go make this announcement. So the person that had told me to do that, I thought they would have communicated that. But I was wrong. And in hindsight, I probably should have checked anyway and communicated that anyway. But the pastor in that moment was very kind and very gracious and said, listen, I understand mistakes like this happen. Let's just try not to do that again. Let's communicate. Let's make sure we're on the same page before we make general public announcements to the whole church body. And I was tremendously grateful that he dealt with me in a way that was gracious and kind and understanding, and didn't just crucify me, because I knew what that felt like because of what I had just experienced on the Saturday before. And I felt better. I felt better about it because I had felt very, very badly about it leading into that meeting. So Joseph has this option too. He can deal with this in a very private and kind and understanding way, he can go to Mary and say, listen, we're going to have this divorce. We only need one witness. I'm not going to tell the town, as it were. And then you can go off, and you can do your own thing, and we will continue to live our lives separately. And so that's option number two. So first, what can he do? Well, he can burn the bridge. He can completely humiliate her in public and be over with it. And option number two, he can be kind and understanding and private and in a way sweep it under the rug so she can go on and live her life. 
But then we come to option number three. And here, Joseph can go through with it. He can just marry her as he has always intended to do and press on forward. In fact, if we return to the text, we can see that that is what the angel commands him to do. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what she is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And despite Joseph hearing this from the angel in that moment, I can imagine it still would have been a tremendously difficult decision to make. Because imagine I come here today, I stand up on the stage, and I say, on Tuesday, an angel appeared and spoke to me and said, I'm to do this thing. Well, (laughs) it sounds honestly a little bit ridiculous. You know, imagine Joseph going home to his family, his parents, siblings, whomever he had in the house, and saying, an angel appeared to me (laughs) and said that I should marry her anyway, despite the fact that she is pregnant with a child that is not mine. I can imagine that context in that situation would have been incredibly difficult for him. But Joseph chooses to go through with it anyway. He makes a decision to trust God and press on forward and move on through. So today, we've gathered here at Night Church. We're here celebrating the Christmas season. It's a happy time. We're all here with family, with friends. I'm sure many of us have things to look forward to. But for some, no doubt, it is also an incredibly difficult season. Whether it's something at home, at school, at work, a friend, a family member, and things just don't go right. We are each presented with some different options. We're in a place where we can burn that bridge to the ground and say, listen, I am right And this is my right to do it this way. It is written like that in the law, and you have no reason to tell me otherwise. Or two, you can kind of sweep it under the rug, be private about it, be understanding, and it will be okay. You will go your separate ways. Life will move on, move forward, and it'll be great. Or option number three. You can follow the advice the Lord has given you. And I don't know exactly what that looks like in your life. It will doubtless look very different from person to person to person. But when you think about your relationship with God and the way he has asked each and every one of us to live our lives, We have a choice to make. And as the band comes up, I would like to encourage each and every one of you to consider it. Because no doubt Joseph did the same thing in this very place. He was between a rock and a hard place, and he really had three not great choices. And yet, here we are. 
here we are at this Christmas season, and the baby is born, and we'll all sing the songs and praise the Lord and be grateful for his tremendous gift to us. And hopefully, as we move on forward, each and every one of us can take advantage of that as well. And so look around at the people who surround you, and especially those who maybe have wronged you and put you in a tough spot, a difficult situation. And to each and every one of them, make the choice to follow God and do his will, regardless of the situation you may find yourself in. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church Podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.